Pastor Luis is our campus pastor at the Wissanoming campus. Most of you know him, but for those of you that don't, this is him. While he's coming up, I did forget to introduce a few people. We have a short-term team from City Alliance Church in Williamsport, Pennsylvania with us today. You guys want to stand up real quick? Okay, so this is them. You might recognize the guy in the, in the front row uh, from your Abercrombie catalogs. Just kidding. Uh, he's more of a, like an Old Navy model. Uh, Seth, who's been attending our church for as long as Phil has, uh, but that is also Brittany Tash. Don't tell me I know these names. I know that's Phoebe. There's a Ryan somewhere. Ryan. Is there a Kevin? What's your, what is it? Nate, you got, Katie. Okay, well, I didn't know most of their names. Luis has been spending more time with them than I have. Uh, but they're here all the way from Williamsport, which is like three, three and a half hours away, spending the weekend with us. So you can give them a quick round of applause. They spent yesterday down, you guys can sit if you want. Uh, they spent yesterday downtown uh, serving the homeless, and they helped out with the children's ministry at the Wissanomi campus today. Uh, okay, that's it. So I'm going to bring Luis over. I want to pray for him real quick, and then I'm going to give up the mic to him. Lord, thank you for Luis and uh, his service to your bride. And Lord, uh, I pray that we would have a receptive minds and receptive hearts as he preaches today, that you would... Help him to unpack the word, that we would grasp it, that we would apply it, Jesus. I pray that in your name. Amen. All right. Good afternoon. How you guys doing? All right. Good. It's, not, it's good to be here. Uh, it always is. Uh, I feel like I have freedom now with no microphone to carry um, just wanted to give you guys a quick update about uh, the, the block party. Uh, the block party, I think Jim explained it pretty well a little bit earlier on August 29th, is just basically us cross-pollinating with our neighbors on Devereux Street. And uh, it's not a huge outreach, it's just a time for us to come and just let our hair down and just hang out. So invite your friends, invite your families. It's not an outreach. We're not going to like, do a huge demonstration of the gospel, but we are going to hugely demonstrate the gospel with our love and, 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 you know, and just hang out. We got Wawa's as a sponsor. We got Hers Potato Chips as a sponsor. Uh, you know, Hatfield Hot Dogs again. Um, and the neighbors are going to be out. Um, since it is a, a neighborhood block party, uh, Neighbors might be out, neighbors might be drinking beer, and that's all right, because they're, you know, you can't, hey, that's just might be what happens. So we're there to show them that we're the church, and that the church is the bride of Christ, and not there to judge them, and just meet them right where they're at, and that's the reason for this party. Uh, so just kind of giving you guys a, a heads up a little bit. Am I too loud there, Nate? Can, can you turn me down a little bit? Um, and um, just want to kind of prepare everyone because they're the neighbors. It's a neighborhood block party. It's not a true vine block party. It's a neighborhood block party. But um, I really have a lot of stuff that I want to share with you guys this morning, this afternoon. And if I say this morning, you got to forgive me because I'm used to preaching in the morning. Um, so I want to just get right into it. Uh, let's, let's pray. Is that all right? Can we pray one more time? 
All right, we'll probably pray at least two or three more times before the time is done, uh, and then we'll go from there. Jesus, we want to he hear from you. Um, and uh, Lord, I, don't, I just don't want to preach just because I get to preach. I want to hear you. And um, I know I've prepared and I've got a, tons of a bunch of information, but Lord, I don't want to just give folks information. Lord, I want to work with your spirit, Lord, um, to help bring about transformation to the lives of your people, Lord. And, and only you can do that. Um, Lord, I need your help. I need your help. Um, and we, we all want to hear from you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, so we are today in Nehemiah chapter 9. We're more than halfway done through this series. Um, and at this point of the book, uh, we have um, seen Nehemiah uh, get his heart broken for the city of his ancestors. We've seen him face opposition uh, to rebuilding the city. We've seen him get permission by the king to uh, start building the walls around the city. We've seen the people, um, we've seen him write some like of the social things that are wrong in the city. Um, people were taking advantage of people financially, etc. And, and he started like a reform, uh, economic reform, social reform. Um, and by the time we get to chapter nine and chapter eight, we see that they start uh, establishing proper worship once again. Um, the people had not worshipped the way that they are, are now worshipping in chapter 9 since the days of Joshua, son of Nun, for many generations. Uh, you got to remember that these folks had been caught up in captivity and that these folks were in exile um, and that the Bible was probably something that was scarcely found by them. And by the time Nehemiah comes back, uh, and, and chapter 9 is upon us. Ezra, the priest and the teacher of the law, uh, has started to talk to people and has started to uh, teach and, and work it in his gifting. Him, along with 12 other Levites and teachers of the law, just spent all day long, basically, just reading scripture. And the people responded to the word of God uh, well, um, so much so that the Levites had to tell the people to calm down, calm down, it's okay, you're going to be okay. Let me break down the scriptures for you and make sure that you understand. Uh, chapter 8 talks about uh, that they kick off the year with prayer and worship, their civic year. Uh, it's the seventh month of the Jewish calendar, and they kick it off with prayer and worship. The Day of Atonement has just passed. The Day of Atonement is, uh, I think Jim preached on that last, last week or the week before, uh, where one day a year the high priest would enter the uh, Holy of Holies and make a sacrifice to declare all of the people of, of God correct with God once more for all of the sins of the years of, of that year past. That had just happened, and the people, uh, Ezra and the priest and the Levites, take time to break down the scriptures. In other words, to do expository preaching, the type of preaching that we hope to be doing from Sunday to Sunday, kind of breaking down scripture, um, drawing out the deep things of scripture from verse to verse. Uh, and, and they do that, and the people start getting it, and the people are responsive. 
and uh, their hearts break. They, they feel the weight of their sin. They feel, they, they start to understand why the priest has to do this sacrifice, right? And they start freaking out, right? And, and, they're, and they're crying. And the priests have to tell them, wait, 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 you're, you're, you're freaking out. But, but right now, uh, I understand that you guys are now uh, uh, understanding the, the, uh, the Day of Atonement and the sacrifice, and, and you have the weight of your sins and you're carrying them. But right now is a time for celebration. He, he, they actually have to tell them, it's time to celebrate. It's time to eat food. It's time to eat the, the fattened calf, per se, and, and, and go share uh, this meal with those who have none. Go celebrate what you guys talked about last week, the, the Feast of Sukkot, um, and go build yourselves uh, uh, tents to, remain, to remind you of the times that God freed your ancestors from Egypt. To remind you of the times that God kept your ancestors for 40 years um, and their clothes did not rip and their shoes did not wear and they did not go hungry even though they had preferences of food to eat. You know, there were preferences there. They, they murmured and, and, and yelled at Moses like, we're tired of eating the same thing. Doesn't God love us? There was meat in Egypt, they would say. And to some degree, they preferred the meat of Egypt to the freedom of Canaan. And by the time we get to Nehemiah chapter 9, uh, the people have kind of turned down a little bit. The party has kind of ceased a little bit. And they themselves have called an assembly. They called an assembly, a gathering um, of, 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 of all of the people. And God shows up in this gathering. The people once again feel the weight of their sin, feel convicted by their sin, and maybe because it was just fresh in their mind. Um, and the text is not clear about this, but just a few days had passed, maybe about a week or so, maybe two weeks since uh, you know the Day of Atonement, since, since uh, the sacrifice had been made, since they had uh, been given the green light to party with their neighbors, right, to feast instead of fast. And yet they call a fast. That wasn't one of the fasts that are known uh, for the Jews to have. They say, you know what? I don't know, man. Either, and this morning I said to, to the folks at WISI, either they sinned a lot in a short period of time, or they just couldn't shake the knowledge of their sin. And, um, and that's where we're at. On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together fasting and wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads. This is a, a sign of, uh, 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 of solemnity, of, of being solemn, of, of, of saying, this, oh, we're serious about this thing. We're going to be uncomfortable about this. We mean this. And those of Israelites' descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. In other words, they said, we, we, we have business to handle with our God. We need to take this take up our sins with, with, with God ourselves. And they, it says, and they stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. Something, even though the text is not uh, elaborate on this too, too much, says to me that they understood sin just a little bit better than they had just a few weeks prior. 
They understood sin just a little bit better because the priests had now broke it down to them. The Levites had now broke it down to them. And they stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter in confession and worshiping the Lord, their God. So for six hours a day, they stood and read from the book of the law, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, right? I always remember the first three because it's the acronym GEL, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Number, and Deuteronomy. I always know Deuteronomy's last because it's the hardest to say. For a quarter of the day and spent another quarter in confession and worshiping. So for 12 hours... They're engaging their Lord. I don't know about you, but that, you know, that's a lot. For six of those hours, they were standing. I, I, I presume that for another of the six, they were either sitting or on their faces before God. And standing on the stairs of the Levites were Jeshua, Jeshua, Bani, Cadmiel, Shebaniah, Bunny, Sherebiah, Bani, and Kenani. They cried out with loud voices to the Lord their God. And the Levites, Joshua, Cadmiel, Bani, Hashbaniah, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shebaniah, and Pathiah said, Stand up and praise the Lord your God, who is from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. So the, I want to talk to you this, this afternoon about two things. Okay, and I, the first thing is I want to talk to you about confession, right? And, and when we think about confession, uh, uh, you know, a man on the other side of a booth is the picture that kind of pops up. Anybody else? Is that the, the, the picture that shows up? My, my brothers and sisters who grew up in the Catholic tradition uh, know about confession very well. In the Old Testament... Uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament both talk about confession. The Old Testament talks about more so confessing to God and to God directly, right? Saying, you know, I, I really messed up. I got this really, really wrong, right? And in, in the New Testament talks about confessing. Uh, also, it talks about, when it talks about confessing in the New Testament, it's not, it also talks about confessing to God, but, but it's, it's about our confession. It's about stating the things that we believe. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, then you will be saved, right? Um, but you also, James talks about confessing your sins to one another in love, right? Um, and I love what 1 John says here. If we confess our sins, right, because we all have got them, we all mess up, we all fall short of the glory of God, he is faithful, talking about Jesus, and just, and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from our unrighteousness. I love what this writer says here, Douglas J. Moo. Confession is the in-between step that acknowledges that a sin has been committed and that a necessary atoning sacrifice is needed to be made. So com confession stands in the middle between having a transgression or, or, or violating the, the things that God has set up for us to, you know, the, the, violating the fences of the Lord and God himself. God is a holy God. God is a God that can only 
um, be in a place that is also holy. But Jesus bridges that gap, right? And that's why the Bible says that Jesus becomes our righteousness. And he became our righteousness when his blood was shed for us on Calvary so that we can now have access once more to the Father, right? And so that is why the writer says, you know, if, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, because he is the one that bridges that gap, and believe in our hearts that it, he was raised from the dead, then we will be saved. Confession of sin is important because it acknowledges that sin is present. It's important because it keeps us accountable. It's important because it does not allow us to take our sins lightly. I said this this morning too. If you think that it's okay for you to uh, dabble, dib and dabble in a little bit of sin and then come to church on Sunday morning, right, and, you know, go to a small group on Tuesday or Wednesday, if it, this is just if you think it's okay. It's not okay. It's not okay. The Bible makes that very, very clear. Right? Do I still sin? Yes. Do you still sin? Yes. Right? But should we sin? When we sin, we have an advocate, right? But it's not the end game of the gospel for those who have been rescued from sin to continue to sin. It's the end game of the gospel for those who have been rescued from sin to look more and more like Jesus every single day. He who was no sin, who became sin for us. Amen? It also allows us to recognize that we've done something wrong and grievous towards God and that we still need Jesus' grace and we still need to engage the process of sanctification. Can you say sanctification? sanctification? What does sanctification mean? It means that I'm engaging the process of becoming more like Jesus every single day. That I'm allowing myself to be chiseled. That I'm allowing myself to be cut in the areas that injure my relationship with God. That injure my relationships with others. So that I may bear fruit and fruit that will last. Amen? Because it's not about, the gospel is not what I prefer. God already has his standards. The gospel is, will I allow myself to be shaped to the honor and to the glory of Christ? Amen? Uh, I do this, uh, I have this book, it's called uh, The Book of Common Prayer. Um, friend Shane Claiborne, who's partnered with us through The Simple Way, came up with the book, and, and a, there's a few other contributors. And every night, this prayer is, is available to those who pray, you know, along with this. It's also a free resource, commonprayer.org, um, published by Zondervan. Uh, and would you guys just read this with me? Um, it's actually uh, just a prayer of confession. 
Um, and at the end of the night, it's fitting because you've had a whole day to sin, right? You confess the sins that you have. Could you read this with me? Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have sinned through my own fault in my thoughts and in my words and what I have done and in what I have failed to do. And I ask you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. And then there's a time for silence or a time to confess to other people who are praying this with you. Um, and then the leader, uh, when that time is over, says, Rebuke me, O Lord, but not in your anger, lest I come to nothing. Amen? And that's the part of the sermon that's about confession. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a hard transition here in just a little bit. But before I do that, do you guys have any questions? Do you have any questions? I'm going to make a hard transition here. So I'm going to make it very obvious that I'm making a hard transition. All right? I'm as subtle as a gun. Okay? That was a joke. Hard crowd. They don't like jokes. Goodness. All right. Now I want to talk to you guys about singing in the church. Somebody say singing. All right? Sometimes we sing and we don't know why we sing, right? And, the, and, and, and we gather and sometimes, for some of us, that's the weirdest part of the service, right? Um, last week I talked about our cultural preferences getting in the way of the way we engage with worship and praise at church. You know, some of us, this is a lot for us, right? Some of us, we can do all, all of this and that's like, Okay, that's good, and you're worshiping the Lord. You know, some of us swaying, that's as, that's as much as we're going to get, right? And I, and I recommended to the folks at WIS is just do you. Do you. Worship the Lord the way God has created you, and a little bit beyond that, right? Because he wants your everything, right? So today, after I've made this hard transition, I want to talk about singing in the church, and um, where do, how do I anchor this in this scripture? Let me just go back real quick. In the second part of this passage here, it talks about, and the Levites, Joshua, Cadmia, Bani, uh, Hashbaniah, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shebaniah, and Pethiah said, Stand up and praise the Lord your God, who is from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. They direct the people, the Levites, the teachers of the law, direct the people to praise God. In the context, in 2015, in the context of the local church, a lot of our praise comes in the form of singing, right? A lot of our worship also comes in the form of singing. So I wanted to take this time to, to kind of focus on that and kind of give us a, a basic 101 level of why we sing in the church and the type of singing that happens in the church. You guys with me? Yeah. Okay. All right. So this is, this is where, where we're jumping from. And the first thing that I want to talk about is the difference between praise and worship. How many of you guys know that there's a difference between the two? Okay. Praise and worship are different. And sometimes with the songs that we sing in church today, the lines are blurred. And that's okay. You know, I'm not going to be a stickler about this, right? But I just want you to establish that there is a difference between the two that is already set up and that is clearly defined. Praise 
This is the object of praise. The object of praise is to bless, to exalt, to remember God's deeds and his faithfulness. All right? The object of, of praise is to, to, to big up the name of God, right? For what he's done and for how faithful he has been. Psalm 146 is a good example of that. Uh, the psalmist says, praise the Lord, praise the Lord my soul. And he goes, blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful. Somebody say faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. So this is about what God does, right? He gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. He's in the business of setting people free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner, alien, or immigrant and sustains the fatherless and the widow. But he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. But God, O Zion, for all generation. Your God, O Zion, for all generation. Praise the Lord. You guys see that? You see that? Praise is about what God does and his faithfulness. Can you think about a time that God got you out of a situation that only God could get you out of? Right? Can you think about a time where God showed up when everybody else said, uh-uh, it's the end of the road? And when you can pinpoint those situations, hold on to those situations, because that's going to be the anchor of your praise. The goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, the deeds that only God can do. Amen? Are you thinking about some of those times where God showed up? That's the root of praise. Now, worship, all right? The object of worship is to bless, to exalt, to make a big deal about God for who he is, for his character and his attributes. To make a big deal about God for who he is. I know you guys are participatory, right? So, so who is God? Can someone, you know, easier said, the names of God. Can you guys shout some of these out? Elohim, okay, got some Hebrew in the house. Adonai, keeping the Hebrew coming. Huh? Jehovah Rapha, all right. He is love, getting the English going. Huh? The, the Lord, our counselor. Yes. The creator, the Lord, the creator. The Lord, our provider, Jehovah Jireh, bringing it back to Hebrew. Jehovah Sikhnu, the Lord, our righteousness. The Lord, our peace, Jehovah Shalom, right? These are things that only God can be. And so we worship him for who God is. There is no other creator. There's no other alpha, one who began this thing. And there's no other Omega, one who will end this thing. Right? There's no one that is holy like our God. 
There's no God like our God. Right? And that's why we sing songs like, our God is greater, our God is stronger, God, you are higher than any other. You know I can't sing, but I'm going to sing because it's going to motivate you that can't sing either to start singing. All right? That's why we sing that song, to big up the name of God for who he is. Right? That's what worship is. Praise, bringing it back to Hebrew, all right, yada is to throw down oneself to cast down and to shine or flash forth light or to cast or throw words of worthiness to God. This ain't praise. I mean, cute with your praise, something Kirk Franklin might say, right? Oh, you're being cute with your praise. No, this is praise. Casting it to God. I said to the folks at WIS uh, this morning that sometimes I feel a certain kind of way when our folks are really quiet while we're praising and, and we're worshiping because our God is worth so much more. And I've been there. And I'm, I'm, I'm tired. You know, I got twins at home. And I'm not always all over the place making a fool of myself, but there is a place in Scripture that says that you can make a fool of yourself when you praise the Lord because he's done stuff for you. He's been faithful for you in ways that nobody else has. David was so foolish, he lost his clothes. That's not a... Uh, an invitation for you to lose your clothes on Sunday afternoon when you come here. I'm sure that uh, Jim will have a conversation with you or something, should that happen. So according to this definition, praise. And you can praise like that. That's fine. And, and, and you know what? If this is where you're at, that's fine. That's a good starting point. Because a lot of us weren't praising at all. Right? But let your praise get bigger, right? And let you start casting that thing out more and more. It literally means to throw down. Did anybody else catch that? Your praise means you need to throw down. You know Jewish people are celebratory people. You ever been to a Jewish wedding or a Jewish celebration? They go all out. They're not playing. Mazel tov, breaking all sorts of stuff. And when they praise the Lord, they go all out. You know? And I said this to us a couple of weeks ago. I said, My church swore they were Jewish when we were little, you know? Like we, hava, nagila, putting people on the chairs at a wedding, all sorts. And we're not Jewish, man. Spiritually Jews, but not culturally. But we did have a good time at our weddings, you know? And uh, maybe that's something to be picked up from the Jewish people, that celebration, that spirit of celebration. Hebrew definition. Shaka, Hebrew, to bow down, to depress, not to be depressed, to, to get low, to force your head on the ground to prostrate oneself in the Old Testament. That's the word that's most often used to talk about worship. And, and in the New Testament, 
the word is proskuneo, to kiss the hand towards the one or in token of reverence. So we could summarize uh, this definition to say to worship means to bow down to the ground and lay flat to give a token of reverence or deep respect to God. To get on your face before the Lord. To, to physically make a declaration that God is above you, right? And you, and you put yourself all the way down. You put yourself all the way down. I think sometimes when... Um, when... I think sometimes we forget that how godly God is And how much we are not God. Like he's not like us. I know we sing a song from time to time that says, I am a friend of God. And uh, yeah, he's your friend, but he's so much more. He's holy. If, if God as your friend is the deepest that you've gone with God, then we've got a long way to go. Because God is Lord. God is maker. God is ruler. God is judge. God is father. He's so much more. And yes, he loves us. Yes, he loves us. When I think about worship, you know, we, we, we talk about, uh, here's a little bit of theology for you, right? Talk about the transcendence of God. How unlike us he is. How different than us he is. How far out he is. Right? How God is just like really not like us. Like, let's get in our place. God is God, we are not. Can you say that with me? God is God, we are not. We are not. One more time. God is God, we are not. We are subservient to God. God, if we're believers, God is in control. That's what lordship means, that he is in charge. A.W. Tozer used to say that uh, I could be a passenger on this uh, uh, ship in which I sail, but I cannot be the captain of the vessel. I'm just along for the ride. You get the picture there? God is God. Amen? Am I, am I boring you guys? Are you, are you with me? All right. I want to make another transition right here. Do you guys see? All right, so far, you guys see the difference between praise and worship? Okay? One is about the deeds of God, the faithfulness of God, and one is about how other God is, how unlike anything God is. It's about who he is, not about what he's done. Right? And so we worship God 
for being the creator of the universe. We worship God because he's amazing and awesome in all of his ways, right? He's the unchanged changer, right? That's what they call him, the unmoved mover, right? And, and everything that you guys said and helped me out before. I've always wanted uh, to figure out this stuff, talking about singing in the church. I love this passage here in Ephesians chapter 5. Paul talks to the church in Ephesus and he says to them, listen, listen. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, having a life that's all crazy and, and making bad decisions. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Other translations say psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. He goes, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus. I love this right here. He talks about these three types of songs. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. I looked up the difference here to psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And psalms are a collection of poems, songs, written under the direction of the Holy Spirit. So it's inspired, it's scripture. The word psalm means praise. The major theme in the psalms is to worship. There's some psalms um, that you know, talk about how hard of a life the psalmist is having. But it, at, at the end of that psalm, it still comes back, yet I will praise you, Lord. My life is nuts, it's upside down, yet I will praise you, Lord. Yet who, uh, whom shall I fear, right? You are my strong tower, right? It always comes back around. My life is crazy. Somebody say crazy. Right? Yet I will praise you. Hymns. Hymns are songs of praise to God. These are not written under the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But many times they incorporate much truth and contain portions of scripture. I love me a good hymn. Right? And hymns are not like a thing of the 1800s. Hymns have been around for thousands of years. In fact, uh, in, in studying this, I, I was reminded that Jesus and his disciples sang a hymn after the Last Supper. You want to double check that? Go to Matthew 26, 30 and Mark 14, 26. All right. And spiritual songs are any songs with a spiritual theme. So, so we're, we're talking about different types of songs here in the church. We've talked about, you know, categories, praise and worship, right? And then we've got subcategories, right, which, which these would kind of be psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. You know, this, is, this stuff intrigues me because I've sat with many of you guys and even um, some people that are not here who've said to me, Luis, I don't know how to basically do what you guys do when you guys start singing. It feels awkward. I grew up in a Catholic church and in a Catholic background and, and I don't, it feels weird. And, and, and some people have even confessed to me, I come to church 30 minutes late on purpose just to get to the sermon because 
I don't know what to do when you guys are singing. I don't know the songs. And, you know, and I'm not making any of that up. That's, that's stuff that has been said here in our own very community. I love how this writer here, Ty, you know, first of all, before I do that, I'll say this. I'll say, you know what? If that's where you're at right now, that's okay. But don't give up. Struggle. Struggle. The only thing between you knowing how to do something and not knowing how to do something is time. The only distance between you knowing how to do it and not do it, or not knowing how to do it and doing it, is time. So you're not going to know how to do church or sing songs. Or, you know, you just got saved last week. But pursue the Holy Spirit, which was, is, is what Ephesians chapter 5 is talking about, right? And I love what the writer, this writer says, and I couldn't find the, the, the author. Um, but he said, a person filled with the Holy Spirit is a singing person. One clear indication that a person is filled with the Holy Spirit is a natural desire to sing and praise God. Musical ability has little to do with it. Okay? So if you're pursuing the deep things of the Lord, and if you want more of God and more of His Spirit, and, and you're getting there, you're tapping into that, chances are that you're probably not going to be able to not sing because it's just going to ooze out of you. You're filled, so this stuff has to come out somewhere. And this is where we anchor it in Scripture right here. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And this is the outpouring of being filled with the Spirit, he's saying. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymn, and songs of the Spirit. All right? So if that's where you're at, you don't know how to enter in, lifting up your hands is kind of awkward, and singing the songs, you sit all the way in the back so you can't really see it, move up just a little bit, struggle with it, right? And it doesn't matter if you can't sing, right? Because I, I really believe that the Lord loves to hear our voices. And, I'm, and, 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 you know, he loves to hear our voices. I love my son's voice. I love Noah's voice. It's annoying sometimes when he turns on the wine, you know. And I'm sure that God feels the same way when we pray whiny prayers, you know. Like, stop whining again, you know. And I say to Noah, I said, speak clearly. I say that to him maybe 10 times a day. Speak clearly. Nobody wants a whiny kid, right? And I don't want to be around a whiny kid, right? Speak clearly. I really love that the Lord, um, I, th I really believe that the Lord likes to hear our voices. He knows you can't sing. And you don't have to join the choir. But when you're gathered on Sunday morning to worship, the question should not be, can I sing? The question should be, is he worth it? And then you self-examine and go back in your own life and says, what has God done for me that nobody else could do? Right? Who is God that I now know him to be? And so how should I respond to that now through praise and worship? and engaging with other people 
psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So this is what I want to do real quick. Um, I want to just give you a reminder, and then I want to give you a charge, the same charge that the psalmist has given us. I want to tell you that in Scripture the sort of things that happen when people in Scripture sing. In 2 Chronicles 2, 21 through 22, you see that Jehoshaphat is in the middle of a fight that he cannot win. And the Lord gives him a strategy, and it's very odd. The strategy is not pick up all of your swords. In fact, go take two swords and start fighting people with one sword in each hand. The strategy is start singing. If you think I'm lying, I'm going to read this to you. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab, Mount Seir, who were invading Judah and they were defeated. That ought to get you riled up. Some of you can sing your way out of your situation right now. And that's a reminder, right? Another reminder, worship is used as a tool in spiritual warfare. You see this, um, David was gifted to play the lyre, kind of like a harp, right? And you see this in, in 1 Samuel 16, verse 23. Whenever the spirit from God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre like a harp and play it. Then relief would come to Saul. He would feel better and the evil spirit would leave him. The evil spirit would leave him. You're wrestling with some spiritual stuff? You got some nightmare situations going on? You don't remember scripture? Sing one of the songs that focus on Jesus and how victorious he is. The blood of Christ. And combat the stuff that's happening in your life. In the life of your loved ones through song. Amen? It's, it's in scripture. If he did it, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he did it then, he can do it now. Amen? Another thing. That happens here, and this one's really exciting. Paul and Silas literally sang their way out of prison. Acts, Acts 16, verses 25 and 26. Now, Paul and Silas were uh, apostles. They were preaching the word of God. They delivered this girl who, who was a slave whose master used her to gain money. And... Um, the master of the slave girl was really upset because now she was delivered. She wasn't going to just follow his orders and gain, um, get him money, right? The text is not clear on how she got him money, but just that once she was delivered, she didn't make him any more bread. And so he said, this, Paul and Silas get accused of putting the city in an uproar and bringing other cultures to, the, to town that have nothing to do with the culture of the town, and they get thrown in jail. But it says here in Acts 16, 25, at about midnight, somebody say midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. There's something special when you guys start singing. 
unbelievers, their ears kind of perk up. Something happens. And suddenly there was a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. Somebody say shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. I don't know about you, but I'm encouraged to be reminded that when people sing in scriptures, enemies are scattered. Worship is used as a tool in spiritual warfare. And to see that Paul and Silas literally broke out of prison because of their song. Amen. Even if you can't sing, God's given you a song. The Bible talks about a new song, putting a new song in your heart. Sometimes when there's a groove going uh, in, in worship, more like in prayer type sets, I just start freestyling. And it sometimes sounds corny, and it sometimes sounds like I wish I would have recorded it. Anybody else? No? All right. So that's, that's the reminder, but this is the charge. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask the worship team to come back up. This is the charge. I'm going to leave you with the charge that the psalmist ends the book of Psalms with. He says, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Let's start over. Can you guys read this with me? All right. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with the strings and pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And that's your charge. Now praise the Lord. Amen.